So our children are going to be dismissed at this time, and it's going to be a little bit uh, rumbly in here as they leave. But uh, I want us to consider what we've just uh, sung about him having all authority and that him having the victory and him having um, this great amount of power. And we'll get settled here in just a moment. Some of the times that makes you want to jump out of your skin, right? And sometimes it just completely stops you dead in tracks. And uh, I don't know how that makes you feel today. Like in one place where we're singing, Jesus, awesome and powerful. I want to be like, you know. I want to be like <laughs> letting it all go from, from here. And sometimes I'm just like, I don't even know if I could utter the words. And it just whispers. Because he is the one who all authority belongs to. Uh, the authority that we need over our lives. Um, and so, instead of me leading you, I want you to go to the Lord right now. In your own spirit. Meet with him. Are you, are you bold and are you excited? Are you energetic because of this, this great reality? Are you humbled? Are you broken under this great reality? You go to the Lord. I'm just give you a moment to go to the Lord. Then I'll pray for us as we continue forward today. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Lord, may we know this today, uh, not as a mere supposition, but as a reality, Lord. May we know this as a reality, not only that your Son is at present at the right hand, ruling and reigning over all those who are subject to him. But might we know it as a reality, as we hope in the kingdom that is still yet to be fully established here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we need this hope because... Uh, on big stages in this world, war is raging. And this cannot be all that there is. And in our own lives, things are, for some of us, things have fallen apart this last week. Everything that we put time, energy, love, sacrifice, our whole selves into is now gone. This can't be all that there is. So secure our hope in your king and your kingdom that is and that is to come. Lord, help us today not only to celebrate the authority that you have given your son, but also help us to live into the authority that he's given us. We are not weak to sin and its power. 
We are not fools, simple-minded or naive. We've been given great power through your spirit to resist temptation. We've been given truth and wisdom from you, God. Let us walk as though we are ones who have authority against all that which would tempt us or fool us and deceive us or all that which would oppress us. Lord, we have authority like your son Jesus to endure oppression, hostility, hatred, skepticism, suspicion. All those things that people throw at us, we can endure those like Jesus in love and generosity and grace. Lord, help us to acknowledge your authority today, to hope in your authority today, and to live into the authority which you've granted us. All power has given us to be living witnesses. Might we be lively witnesses. I pray. Lord, I pray and I ask that you would please uh, give me the words to say. Let the words that I speak this morning be filled with your spirit. Might they not be words of Macaulay Austin, but words of God. Words from on high. Uh, might I be able to speak your word uh, clearly, Lord. And then, Lord, I pray and I ask not only that I would uh, speak in your power, but we would receive these words from you. What you have for us as a gathered congregation, and Lord, what your spirit is going to speak to our individual hearts, might we receive. We pray, Lord, that you have free reign. You can come in and you can encourage us and you can comfort us. You can equip us. You can rebuke us. You can correct us. We invite you. We open our ears to hear you and to respond to what you have for us today. We pray these things in Christ's mighty, resurrected name. Amen. Uh, in just a few weeks, we will be celebrating Easter. Can y'all believe Easter is already almost here? I was just talking to a couple um, uh, this morning before service, and did anybody feel like this, like January took three years? It felt like January is like the longest month ever, and, and, and sometimes it often feels like that, but now we turn around and we're almost into April. Um. Wow, time has surely flown over these last couple months. Uh, uh, Brother uh, Mitch and Miss Felisa, do y'all think uh, we're almost in April? They're particularly excited to be almost in April because this Friday uh, we're going to celebrate them coming together in holy matrimony. Uh, That's Friday at 6 p.m. here at Friends of Baptist Church. If you're here, you are invited. Um, And we are going to celebrate with them. Uh, Brother Mitch, whenever they first got engaged uh, a couple months ago, yeah, well, they're not joking around, y'all. But uh, when they first got engaged, he was like, oh, man, we have all this stuff to do. And every time I would talk to him, he's like, man, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm good. And then he's like, I can this. like, I off his checklist. a little bit differently and I was like okay yeah and now I'm here (laughs) it is but we are going to celebrate Easter in just a couple weeks a few weeks of course before we get to Easter we have to remember Jesus being betrayed and arrested and tried and sentenced we're going to have to remember his uh Horrible, suffering death on the cross of Calvary. Now, because of Easter, we have hope in his death. 
Because of Easter, we, we have a reason to come to, 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 to Good Friday, as it were. And, and at Good Friday, we come with like this, uh, this sorrow and joy. Because we know that through his death, he secured for us victory. However, despite the fact that we have joy and a reason to hope because of Easter through his death, we still hate that it happened to him. We don't read the story lightly and they despised and they rejected him. And we go, yay, that needed to happen. He's our savior, he's our Lord, he's our hero. And when people come on the scene and they start questioning him skeptically, why are you doing what you're doing? We're like, shut up. Get out of his face. That's Jesus. Get away from him. We we hate it. And really, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around still yet. Earlier this week in my Tuesday email, um, I sent out uh, this just devotional thought that, you know, Jesus was a polarizing figure. The way Luke records the story, the very first two scenes with Jesus and his ministry after he leaves uh, the wilderness temptation, the very first two scenes present him as this enigmatic, polarizing figure. First, he goes to his hometown, Nazareth. And there at his hometown, Nazareth, he begins to claim that he has, uh, that he's going to be the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecies. And they doubt him. And not only do they doubt him, right? It's one thing just to be like, you know, ambivalent about Jesus. They're not ambivalent about Jesus. Jesus is actually uh, chased up a cliff on the edge of town and they want to throw him off the cliff. Uh, So they are not ambivalent about him. Uh, They have some strong feelings about him. And those feelings um, equate to he does not deserve to live. Then Luke takes us to Capernaum. And in Capernaum, uh, Jesus comes into the synagogue. He teaches. We could, we could suppose Jesus might have said the same sorts of things that he was saying in Nazareth. I don't think he went back to the drawing board and was like, oh, you know what? Maybe that message isn't going to get him. Right? Like, I don't think Jesus went into Capernaum and was like, maybe I should tone it down. A little bit. I, I would imagine that Jesus was like, here's my message, and I'm coming to proclaim it, and this is the word. And so he comes into Capernaum, and he says much the same that he says in Nazareth. He says, listen, I am the fulfillment. Not only of Isaiah's prophecies, but think about this. He's the fulfillment of Israel's role in the covenant. See, God, whenever he called Abraham, out of Ur of the Chaldees, he said to Abram, he said, listen, he said, I'm going to take you to a new land, and and I'm not only going to give you this land, uh, I'm going to make of you a mighty nation. And he says, and I'm going to bless you. And he says, but through you, all the world will be blessed. And you kind of find there like a recapitulation of what was happening in the garden with Adam and Eve. See, God didn't just go like, hey, I placed you in this garden. He says, I want you, like he created them to be his image bearers. 
in this world. I want, you to, I want you to represent me. I want you to reveal me. Make me known in this world. Israel had that same sort of call, that same sort of um, commission, if you will. Not only were they to be the blessed people, they were to be the ones through whom the world was blessed. And they were supposed to do that by looking radically different than the world around them. The world around them all worshipped. Right? Israel wasn't coming in saying, hey, we worship God and nobody else does. Like in our day and age, I think one of the things that we always get, get, get so concerned about is, you know, atheism. And atheism is a concern, but, but really, atheism is such a small percent of this world. The reality is not that people, like, like our big fear shouldn't be like, oh, people just aren't worshiping God. It's people are worshiping God in really destructive and devastating ways. And in the ancient world, that's what it looked like. Everybody was worshiping. And they were ordering their society by how they worshiped. And Israel was sent in to say, hey, you are getting it wrong. Let us reveal to you the right, that there is a God. You're right, there is a God. There's a true God. But, but, but this God doesn't want from you your children. This God doesn't want you to sacrifice your babies to him. This God doesn't want you to, to get rid of all, 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 the, all the lame people out of your society and all the weak people out of your society. This God wants you to actually support them. Care for them. This God doesn't play by this, this, this rule that only the strong survive. And only the most cunning, shrewd, deceptive, scheming people win. This God plays by this rule that says, hey, you, you actually don't even have to reap all of your harvest. There's enough. Leave that for the ones who don't have a field to harvest. But Israel, instead of revealing to the world a new, uh, uh, like a, a unique God in this world, and a unique society, a unique kingdom. They began to look just like everyone around them. They failed in their call. In their keeping, if you will, the covenant. So when Jesus says in the synagogues, I'm here as the fulfillment of this prophecy. He's not just going like, just this prophecy. Let's keep it in contact. He's going like, I'm here in fulfillment of the whole shebang. I'm the one who is going to fulfill Israel's covenant obligations. I'm going to do what King David couldn't do. What? Record skips in the background. Everybody was having a nice meal. And then he says, I'm here and I'm going to do what Moses couldn't do. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The earth shook a little bit. Was that Moses? And his bones shaking a little bit. So he goes into Capernaum and he begins teaching and preaching there. And guess what? At Capernaum, they invite him back the next week. And the next week and the week after that. 
And he doesn't tell us how many weeks, but there's a number of weeks that every Saturday he is there in the synagogue and he is teaching. And then he begins to heal people. He casts out demons. He heals uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And Peter was so grateful for that, right? Peter was like, thank you, I want you. I'm just a joke. I'm the world's best mother-in-law, right? She's all right. And then people just start flocking to Capernaum. And instead of the people going, get out of our city, or I want you dead, Jesus goes, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on to the next village. And they're like, no, 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 what are you doing? You've got to stay here. We don't want you to go anywhere else. And so the first two scenes of Jesus' life, he is set up as this enigmatic, polarizing figure. People are going to really, really, really have some questions and concerns even extreme hard feelings against Jesus like he needs to die or people are going to be enamored drawn to they they are going to long for him this is Jesus and we get that. We we just what we don't get. We go. Why do people feel this way about? Him? Why do they despise him? Why do they reject him? And I don't know if you read the text like this ever, but sometimes I like to read with a little bit of this God-given thing called imagination. And sometimes I go like, what if that didn't happen? My imagination can only take me so far. But I'm like, man, wouldn't that be great? The reality is, though, the reality is is that he was despised and he was rejected. And before we get to Easter, and the only reason why we have an Easter is because there was a good Friday. And I, I come to us who look at Jesus as our hero, as more than our hero. He's our God. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. It's through Jesus and his authority and his name that we pray to God the Father. And we say, let your kingdom come and your will be done today, right now, here. Not in some mystical abstract experience, but right now here. We don't understand, and sometimes we question why, because he is our hero. But I think it's important for us to consider I guess the thing that I think is this is is maybe because we accept him now. And we can read back into the story and we could go, I don't get why they don't get that. Uh, we assume that if we were there, we would be the ones who would accept him. We would actually not just be the ones who would accept him. We'd be championing his cause. We would be the ones who would be standing up to you know, the people who held him in suspicion. And we'd be saying, do you not see? But the question that I always have is, would I? Would I be that guy? (sighs) 
in Luke's gospel, as I've been reading, uh, I just went through a couple chapters and I thought, you know, hey, what were the things, what, what were the things that got people against Jesus? Because whenever I, I, I think about that story or, or think about that question, it makes me go, okay, if I can kind of identify why they were having problems with Jesus, then that could probably show some things about me, my reality. Uh, maybe the reality that I probably would have had some similar issues if I were there then. But, but beyond that, I think it opens me up to this question and I think it should open us all up to this question of maybe there's some things that I really, really, really love and accept about Jesus. And maybe there's some things that I just kind of ignore. I know he was about it. I know he taught it. I know he lived it. And maybe... Because I accept so much other stuff, it's easy for me to pretend, maybe, or be deceived. That I like some of Jesus, but not all of Jesus. I like some of his message, but not all of his message. I can follow most, a lot, but not all. So over the next few minutes, I want us collectively to consider that. Are there some things that Jesus says that I'm like, yeah, but no. Is there some ways that he lives? So as I go through and I look, you know, what just in Matthew chapter, I mean, Luke chapter number five and six, you can see several times where where people are suspicious of Jesus, they're skeptical of Jesus at the very least, and times where you can see they're outright hostile towards Jesus. So um, uh, first and foremost is in chapter number five, in verses number 17 through 26, there's this great story, and it's a story that we love, and it's the story where um, these friends um, uh, learn that Jesus is teaching in this, in this place and, and, and they have uh, a paralyzed friend and they want to get him to Jesus and, and, and they come to where Jesus is teaching and, 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 and there's no way in because there's so many crowds around. And they're carrying their, their friend on this, on this mat or, or, you know, like kind of like a stretcher, if you will. And, uh, and, and they decide, hey, there's no other way that we can get in through uh, the doors, through the windows. We can't get our friend to Jesus. So what they do is they climb up on the roof and they begin to <laughs> disassemble the building. They begin to be destructive and they begin to tear things apart. And they do all this because they really believe if, 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 if our friend can get to Jesus, Jesus will have mercy on him and Jesus will heal him. And whenever they bring their friend to Jesus, Jesus looks at what his, these friends have done for this man who could not do for himself. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, you are healed. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And a hush grows over the crowd because only one can forgive, and that is God. It's God's authority to forgive. And so Jesus looks around and he says, what's the matter? Was it because I said his sins are forgiven that y'all all puckered up? And he says, what, 
What's the difference if I say he's healed or his sins are forgiven? He said, but so that you know that I have the authority to forgive sins. I'm going to say to him, take up your bed and walk. So the man, so Jesus looks at the man and he says, take up your bed and walk. And he does. People are not happy with this. Uh, just the next scene, chapter 5, verses 27 through 32, as Jesus is traveling along and he enters into a city, there's this young man named Matthew who also goes by the name of Levi. And he's a tax collector. And, and I think we really, I think sometimes we're, we, we, we hold the, these tax collectors like with a soft spot in our heart you know, when we're reading the text, and we're like, oh, I can't believe they were so mean to the tax collectors. And I think we really need to probably shatter that, that idea in our minds because you and I would hate tax collectors. Uh, you don't like to pay taxes as it is, right? Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't see everybody, uh, you know, especially where we live, I don't see everybody going, you know what? I think the government needs to get more involved. And I think we need to pay a few more taxes. And, uh, you know, and I trust them. I trust them to do good with my money. Right? So not only do you have this going on, but a ta tax collector is not just collecting for the government, but a tax collector is, is skimming off the top. A tax collector is going in, and, and you could think about a tax collector using unjust weights and unjust measures, and Scripture, Proverbs, tells us that those who use unjust weights and unjust measures are an abomination to the Lord. I mean, it works on all different types of levels, but, but it's not my whole message, so I, 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 I'm just going to say, you really would not look at Matthew with eyes of compassion. At the very least, you would be ambivalent. But you would probably have some strong feelings about Matthew and his ilk. And Jesus looks at Matthew with compassion. And then Matthew goes, oh my goodness, this person who should not be recognizing me. This is Matthew's response. This is what we have to understand. Matthew's not like, oh, I have a lot of money and, and you're a good guy, so come on over to my house and we'll have a, a nice feast. Matthew goes, Matthew understands, and from Matthew's response, we should get it. Matthew goes, a person who is a who, who, who is working on behalf of the Lord, who all this fame is going out about him. He's healing people. He is claiming authority, uh, prophetic authority at the very least, if not more than that. This person would never even look in my direction. They would look down on me or look away. And he came up to me and he said, come, follow me. Be my disciple. And Matthew's jaw dropped and he swallowed his tongue. And then he choked it up and he said, what? Me? What? So then Matthew says, come to my house. I'm going to celebrate because I am I'm overwhelmed with humility and gratitude. And I want to, I want to, I want to celebrate what you have brought to me. You brought to me dignity and respect where I had no dignity and respect. You brought to me love and compassion where all I get is vitriol. And so Jesus is there and he's eating. And people begin to ask Jesus, why are you eating with those people? And Jesus makes a claim here. It's subtle. It's not just saying like, hey, 
I'm going to act like the good doctor. He is saying, I am the doctor. And the doctor comes for those who need healing and help. Then Jesus and his disciples are seen not only at that feast, but probably a lot of feasts. And, and people begin to notice, hey, they're, they're, not, they're not fasting, they're feasting. And they go, why, why, why did John's disciples, John the Baptist, his disciples, they were fasting all the time. They were like living like almost an ascetic life. I mean, it was like they were preparing their lives for the coming Messiah. And, and if they were preparing their lives for the coming Messiah, I mean, they were, they were forsaking any, any worldly pleasure, if you will. And they were, they were really disciplined in this. But, 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 but you who, who claim to be that Messiah, your disciples aren't living the same way. That doesn't make sense. So Jesus says, well, you don't fast whenever you are hanging out with the groom, do you? Although Brother Mitch and I, we have, we've committed to a fast on Friday, did we not, Brother Mitch? Yeah. <laughs> I've changed it. Instead of barbecue, instead of Central Texas barbecue, we will be having a fast at your wedding. We will all sit in sobriety and somberness and we, we just want y'all to be well prepared for the road that's ahead of y'all. No, at the wedding you, you cut loose, you get live, you dance, you sing, you celebrate. Jesus is saying, I'm the groom. Right? Not just this is what happens at weddings, but I'm the groom. The next thing, that was in uh, 533 through 37. I mean, it just goes one after the next after the next. Every scene that you see happening in, these, in this chapter and a half, it's Jesus is doing something. And, and at one point, everybody's like, this is really cool. And then it's like, uh, and then you have these people who are like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Next scene is Jesus' disciples, and they're walking through a grain field, and it's a Sabbath day, and they're plucking off grain, and they are threshing it in their fingers. How dare they, we say, because we don't understand. But I would imagine that if we put it in a different context that we did understand a little bit more, we would go, they shouldn't be doing that. Like if somebody comes in, to your house on Thanksgiving and tells you to do a new tradition, you would go, no, this does not happen. This is why mothers-in-laws and daughter-in-laws always are at war because there are different traditions and whose tradition is going to win out? And this is where father-in-laws and son-in-laws find themselves in very precarious positions because they just want to eat. <laughs> they do not want to get involved in the war. So think about anything that you are used to, that you are comfortable with, and somebody, and, it's, and not only that, this is a codified law that you keep the Sabbath, and they have these huge debates that go down, back for centuries and centuries. What does it mean to break Sabbath? And what they've decided is one of the things that it means is that you cannot thresh grain. And so they have been threshing grain between their fingers, and the Pharisees and the religious authorities come up and they go, why are they breaking Sabbath? And then Jesus says, I think you're making a bigger deal out of this than you need to. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is the Lord, Lord of the Sabbath also. And then the very next scene, it's another Sabbath day. And there's a guy who needs to be healed. 
And all of those religious authorities are watching him, whether or not he's going to heal him, work on the Sabbath. And Jesus, because he's not a coward and he's not a yellow belly, but he has great courage. And his courage is not masked by this vain pride, but his courage is supported by this like awesome humility. Jesus heals the man. Why? Was it because he broke Sabbath? Was it because he worked on the Sabbath? Was it because he was just eating with the wrong type of people? All those things are part of the thing. But if you pay close attention to how I even told these stories, and I, and I tried to keep it pretty close to the text, but, but, but if you pay close attention to that, what you would really find is it had not a lot to do with all the things that they said it had to do with. It wasn't just that he was eating with the wrong type of people or that he was doing things on the Sabbath. In fact, in Luke chapter number four, all of this begins, and what Luke is wanting us to see, uh, not only through chapter four, but through chapter five and through chapter six and all throughout Jesus's life, is what we find, what he says in verse number 32 And whenever he came to Capernaum and he taught in the synagogue, they invited him back to the synagogue and they kept inviting him back to the synagogue. We want to hear him teach. We want to hear him teach. We want to hear him teach. And here is why. Verse number 32 of Luke chapter number four, it says they were astonished at his doctrine. That was astonishing what he was teaching. But they said that the most astonishing thing was that he, his word was taught. It was proclaimed. It was delivered with power and that doesn't mean that he probably was like a lot of us baptist preachers who just got excited and got high shrill voice and stamped his feet and hit the back of his bible i don't think that's what he meant by power that word power there has to do with this dynamic authority and then what we find in all of these scenes is it's not just that Jesus is saying, Matthew, follow me. Jesus is acting like he has the authority to transform a sinner like Matthew. It's not that Jesus wants somebody to experience God's mercy and forgiveness. We would think that they were very terrible people if they didn't want people to experience God's mercy and forgiveness. That is such a terrible, it's a really, it's almost like a very racist way to read about the Jews in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Like, oh, they just hated people getting God being merciful. No, they, they pled for God's mercy. We, we know about mercy from their text, right? So, so we can't sit there and be like, well, they were just terrible, horrible people who, who didn't care if anybody experienced God's mercy. No, they wanted people to experience God's mercy. What they had a problem with was, it's not that this guy's sins were forgiven. They had a problem that Jesus said, I am the one who can do that. They didn't have a problem that you had debates about what happened on the Sabbath. Go read the, 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 the Babylonian Talmud and, and you'll see that, that for centuries, rabbis were, 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 were in debate, in active debate about how you interpret the Old Testament law. Walter Brueggemann says the, the, the Ten Commandments were given and then interpretation began. And it's the same sort of thing that we find going on right now. We have a Supreme Court justice who is being, uh, who's going through confirmation hearings. And everybody wants to know, how are you going to interpret the Constitution? The same sort of thing is going on with them. There was always debates about, is this really, is this threshing this? It's threshing. This, like, this is me working too much. This is me not trusting God right here. It was, they had a problem that he was saying, I'm the authority and I know the answer. And I can actually authorize work to be done on the Sabbath. And so whenever I begin today, I, 
And whenever I began this study, there was like this question in my mind, like what sorts of things might I have a problem with? And I don't think it's always just the things. I think what I, I know me, I'm a rebel without a cause. There's no good reason. There is no understandable, justifiable reason why I went to Bible college and played the fool that I did. Except for nobody was going to tell me what to do. Uh, there's no good reason why uh, I uh, didn't pay uh, some non-moving violations and ended up getting arrested and spending four days in jail in college. Except for, I just was like, no, nobody's going to tell me what to do. They didn't. They just arrested me. <laughs> like, they're like, we're not going to tell you what to do. We're just going to tell you that you're in trouble now. So I know for me, but I don't, and it might be true for you. But I wonder if the thing is not just like, man, he's asking me to, to be merciful to somebody that I don't think deserves mercy. He's asking me to sacrificially give my time whenever I really want that time for myself. I wonder if more than that, what I struggle with, maybe you struggle with, is do I want to really give him that authority? What I love about Jesus is not just that he has the authority, but how he carries his authority. And this is something that we don't see in our world very often. But all those people who challenged his authority, he made claims to his authority. Right? He had no problem making claims to authority. But whenever they challenged his authority, he didn't stamp his foot and say, but I'm the authority. You better respect me. Don't you know my role, my position? See, the great thing about his authority Authority is how he carried it. I mean, it's powerful that he has the authority, but but also it's powerful in how he how he shows us like you can carry this authority, and how he carries the authority. And really, let's just think this: Easter is the ultimate vindication of his authority. Just so we know, like that's what we're going to celebrate in a few weeks. Like when he raises to new life on. Easter morning, that is God saying, hey, every accusation you held against him was false. Every suspicion that you levied on him was, law, it was false. Every skeptical thought, every skepticism or criticism or critique, or judgment or indictment, you were wrong. He really is my son in whom I've granted all authority in heaven and in earth. Before Jesus relinquishes, if you will, his authority. And I think that that's important for us because we understand that not only does he have the authority that we're to submit to, but he also shows us the authority that we have in him. 
And if we have authority like he has authority, that means that we carry it the same way that he carries it. And what I want to say to some of you today who I know are following his authority, and instead of getting all the celebration and praise that he got at Capernaum, you're facing life in Nazareth. Instead of having everybody go, well done, you're doing an awesome job. You're, going, you're having people go, well, why are you doing what you're doing? Why'd you do it that way? And instead of everything going right in life, as you plan life to go, the bottom's dropped out. Because he has the authority, and he's granted you the authority, and because with his authority, he suffered. And he endured and he bared suspicion, skepticism, even death. I want to encourage you that whenever you walk those paths and you bear it like Jesus, patiently, humbly, um, meekly, kindly, uh, you bear authority just like him. Today, my question is, uh, are, we, are we really ready to submit to all of his authority? And then my uh, encouragement is, is that we who have submitted to all of his authority, we have authority, but we also have a way to yield or wield that authority. We have an example of what that looks like. And I pray that you will do that this week because you will walk out of this place and you won't meet the smiling faces and the glad handshakes. And you won't meet the room full of people. You might go back to an empty bed that once wasn't empty. Uh, you might go to a hostile work environment where they are not celebrating everything you're doing. You might go to a family that is broken and you're trying to put the pieces together. And I would encourage you uh, that the one who has all authority has given you authority and you, through his spirit, can walk through this season with much grace and he will be gracious to you in this season. And with that, I say, amen. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Would you simply